You guys ready to go to work? We're going to start a new series today. Our new series is Gospel Pathway. In fact, we even have, I think we have a graphic up here that I'll explain to you. So Gospel Pathway, the subtitle to this series would be Learning to Walk in Newness of Life. That's something that's promised us as we become a Christian that we're a new creation and we're to walk in newness of life. And you see this kind of windy pathway with these road signs that are going to take us through this series. We got God the prize and sin the problem and Jesus the answer and faith the response and holiness the journey. And we'll spend a few weeks on that one. Love the response. Uh, we'll spend some weeks on that one and then joy the end. And this is the pathway. This is the narrow road. You can't tell on this graphic, but it's all uphill. It's all uphill and it's difficult. Uh, so let's get to it. When, this, when it comes to this series, uh, for a lot of people, it may be like, I know the gospel, or you may think you know the gospel, but you don't really know how to live the gospel. You don't know how to apply the gospel. It's not like... Uh, infecting every area of life and emotion that you're living. And you could say like, hey, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe I'm a sinner. But I don't know if I'm walking in newness of life. Like, I don't know if I'm experiencing that. Maybe you feel like I'm a Christian, but I'm not experiencing like God's power in my life. I'm not experiencing this kind of transformation. I don't feel transformed. I don't feel like I'm experiencing this victory. Maybe you could say I'm a Christian, but I'm trapped in sin. I'm trapped in grief. I'm caught up in an addiction. I don't feel joyful that I'm promised in God's word. I don't feel fulfillment. Like it's not lining up. Like these promises that are made to us in scripture that you are a new creation and you will walk in newness of life and you will be transformed in the renewing of your mind. You feel like, I don't know if that matches my life. And I claim to be a Christian. Like it's not, it's not what lining up the way it should. It's like that button-up shirt that you just committed to, and then all of a sudden you get to the bottom, and it's like, I got two extra buttons here, and it's like bulging out, and it's not working, and it's like, how did I get to this mess? Well, what's the problem? It's the first button, right? You missed the first button, and it was just downhill from there. Like, you just you committed to it. Well, what's the first button of Christianity? What's the first button of life? Like, we got to get this right. And if we don't get this right, then, then we're on for a mess. Like it's going to set the wrong trajectory for us. Well, what's the first button of Christianity that we have to understand? Well, to address the, f- the first button, let's, let's go to the beginning. Now, I'm going to throw a lot of passages at you this morning. If you can, you know, savvy with the Bible and you can flip and keep up, do it. We'll put them on the screen. I'd encourage you to write them down. You could look them up later, but we're going to go to a lot of different places as we try to find, okay, biblically, what's this first button? What's the first button that we got to get right that's going to set the trajectory for the rest of our life uh, following God? And to go to that first button, first, let's go to the beginning. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. We can stop there because those four words are life-shaping. In the beginning, before anything else, God. Before the fancy cars we like, before the granite countertops, before the cabin by the lake, before um, marriage and love and sex and all those things, before uh, money and power and entertainment, God. Before all of it, there was God. So if you want a clue to what that first button is, before anything else, there was God. And you feel like the church person that's quick to the answer. It's like, oh, I know the first button, God. Well, no, there's more to it than that. Like, what about God? As we look at Genesis 1-1, we see that in the beginning, God, what? He created 
the heavens and the earth. So before anything else, there was God. And God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything, which means everything that is not God is from God and dependent on God. You get that? Like before anything else, there was God. So everything that came, came from God. And everything that's not God is from God and it's dependent on God, which means nothing is better than God, nothing is bigger than God, nothing is stronger than God. And we got to get this. We got to get just how big God is in order to get this first button right. Like you think of the thing that's most scary or terrifying to you. God made that. Like I think of uh, in, in Job where it talks about the Leviathan. You're like, it does? Yeah, you should read your Bible. Good stuff in there, right? In the book of Job, he's talking about Le- the Leviathan, the sea monster that God made to frolic like his pet. It's like, think of the most beautiful thing. The, you know, the, the galaxies, a sunset. God made that. God spoke it into existence. The sun is in the sky because he said, let there be light, and there was light. The the pleasures of love, the adrenaline of jumping out of a plane, skydiving, enjoyments of of sex, friendship, all of those things come from God. Those things exist because of God. A.W. Tozer wrote this one time. He says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let me say that. Let me read this again. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's a first button issue. Like the conclusions that you make about God are either going to line everything else up or mess everything else up. You with me on that one? The conclusions that you make about God are either going to line everything else up in life or mess everything else up in life. Like what kind of conclusions do you come to when it comes to God? And you might be quick as like, I believe in God. Well, there's more to it than that. I mean, to really get this first button right, there's more to it than just I believe in God. I mean, James tells us that even the demons believe in God and shudder. What do you believe about God? We've got to believe the right things about God to line this first button up. And, and here's where even God-believing people can mess up this first button. If I were to ask you, who's the creator? I bet you would give me a pretty accurate theological answer. We just talked about it. Who's the creator? God. Yeah, you bet, buddy. Right? God. God made the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. But people that believe God created the heavens and the earth often seem to think that joy comes from somewhere else. See, God, you made the heavens and the earth and the animals and the sky and the planet and the sense, but, but joy, when it comes to joy, fulfillment, peace, I think I need to shop elsewhere, right? I mean, you're great at that stuff, God. I mean, I've, ne- I've never known anyone else that can make a gorilla. When it comes to gorillas, you're killing it, right? But when it comes to the satisfaction of my soul, I think I need to look elsewhere. I'm going to get that somewhere else. And isn't that the lie we fell into in Genesis 3? And we'll look more at Genesis 3 next week. But Adam and Eve got duped. There was a a tempter. And in that there was a tree in the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when when Adam and Eve looked at this tree, it looked good. And the tree came with a promise. If you read the text, it comes with a promise that this will make you wise. I mean, they got the Garden of Eden. They're in paradise. 
But they look at this tree and think, okay, that's great, God. Super thankful for this garden, but I think I can upgrade. I think I can improve my situation. I'm going to find wisdom here in this tree. It's foolish. It's foolish. But guys, if we want to get this first button right, we need to realize that God didn't just make the heavens and the earth and the stars and the sky and the galaxies and animals and plants. But he's the source of all things. He's the source of joy. He's the source of peace. He's the source of contentment. Like it comes from God. Uh, Jesus talking to his disciples in John 15. He was saying, abide in me. Right? And abide is kind of a, a churchy word, but he's like, stay connected to me. Stay, stay locked in, stay connected to me, and you're going to bear much fruit. Like, I'm going to be productive in your life. And it's like, well, what is he going to produce? As you keep reading there, he says, I'm telling you these things so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be full. Like, you're going to get joy from me. From being connected to me is where you're going to find joy. He's the joy giver. Romans 15, 13, Paul's saying, hey, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. God's the joy filler. You want to know where to get joy? Not, not elsewhere. You don't shop elsewhere for that. God is the source of all things. He, did, he didn't just make plants and animals. He makes joy. He provides fulfillment and satisfaction. Or Proverbs 1.7, you're probably familiar with this proverb, but um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's, that's where you get wisdom. And Adam and Eve, they just thought, oh, I'm going to get wisdom from a fruit tree. Like, no, it's foolish. But sometimes we think, I'm going to get satisfaction from this relationship. I'm going to finally get value from this promotion. I'm finally going to find fulfillment in this, uh, this role or this job or this um, thing I shouldn't be doing. Like, I'm going to find it there. Like, to think that, that in sexual immorality you can find greater pleasure than what God could give you? Foolish. It's like, it's like the fruit tree. Joy is found in God. In fact, one of the, my favorite passages for it is in Psalm 16. It's at the end of the psalm. He says this, You, talking to God, you make known to me the path of life. And let's stop there before we go on. What is he saying? You, God, you make known to me the path of life. You, you help me make sense of life. You line up my buttons for me, right? That, like with you, 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 you help me make sense of life. Well, how does he do that? What about you helps me make sense of life? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Knowing this about you, that I will find fulfillment in you, helps me make sense of the rest of my life. That you are the source of joy helps me make sense of the rest of my life. He's the joy provider, and everybody's chasing fulfillment. Everybody's chasing fulfillment. But if you think you're going to find fulfillment in that promotion or that relationship or in that economic status, your first button's off. And not by much. I mean, about, about that much, right? Just enough. And you can make that conclusion, right? It's like, yeah, relationships are rewarding. I can do some fun stuff with some money. It provides some security. That's, that's going to make me feel important. And it's not, it's not a stretch, but then you go through life, and all of a sudden, like, oh, I got issues, right? I got problems down here. Like, it, it messes everything else up. It's not going to 
provide fulfillment. In fact, it's going to set a trajectory that's going to cause problems. In fact, maybe the, the biggest contemporary example that we have of this is uh, Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady's a quarterback in the NFL. How many know? Do I do have to dumb this down? Do you know who Tom Brady is? I'm like, now somebody who's like, I don't know who Tom Brady feels really dumb. I don't know. Tom Brady is a quarterback in the NFL, uh, considered to be one of the greatest of all times. Uh, tons of Super Bowl rings, Super Bowl MVPs. Uh, he's married to a supermodel. Like, if you would look at anybody and be like, this guy's arrived. You look at Tom Brady, it's like, you got fame, you got success, you got status. I, I recently watched a 30 for 30 with Tom Brady uh, that was entered, the interview took place at his house, and all I thought is like, I want your house. Like he had a pool and had multiple bridges over his pool. It's like, I want your house. But you look at Tom Brady and it's like, you've arrived, right? You you got it. But in this interview with 60 Minutes uh, several years back, he says this. A lot of people would think, man, you've reached your dream. This is it. (laughs) Like, yes, a lot of people do think that. Like, you've you've arrived. He goes on to quote and say this. Me, I think... God, there's got to be more than this. You, Super Bowl champ, wealthy, married a supermodel, fame, are sitting there thinking, God, there's got to be more than this. And there's irony in how he put it. God, there's got to be more than this. I think you're on to something. (laughs) Listen, and we've said this before, but you are made by God, for God. Therefore, real fulfillment will only be found in God. Like, it's a, it's a design issue. You were wired that way. Like, the, the one who made you configured you to be satisfied in him. Like, that, that's, that's in your, your DNA. It's in your wiring that you are meant to be connected with your maker. In fact, here's a passage in Colossians 1.16. It says this, For by him all things were created, all things would include you, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and what? For him. You were made for God. That is the purpose of your life. It is the design of your life. You were made for God. And this is how it says in Romans 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So you come from him, you were made through him, but your destiny, your design is to be presented to him. Like you were made for God, you were made to be presented back to God. It is in your wiring, or, or the Westminster Confession says of this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy for him forever. That's your purpose. It's why you were made. It's why you exist. Listen to me, I say this because I love you. Life is not about you. But you are about God. This world is not about you. It's about God. This world isn't about your uh, pleasure and happiness. It's about God's pleasure and happiness. This life is not about you. But you are about God. J.I. Packer wrote this one time. He said, we are cruel to ourselves if we try and live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. We are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing whose world it is and who runs it. It's like that's, that's cruel. It's, it's being cruel to yourself. You're, you're foolish to do that. 
It's his world, and if you're going to function it, you should probably understand the maker a little bit better. Why? Why did he make this place? Why did he make you? What's the purpose? What's it for? It's his world. Sometimes people kind of get a big head and be like, you're in my world. It's like, nope. God's world. There's one world, and it's his. He made it. He makes the rules, and he designed it with purpose. It's his world. We're cruel to ourselves if we try to find fulfillment. Fulfillment without looking to the one who made us. Like your design. Why were you made? What's the purpose behind that? Because we're, we're flesh and bones. We're, we're, you know, we need food to live. Like every 30 minutes for me, I'm working on it. Like 45 minutes maybe. We need water. We can only go so long without water. We need air. Like this is the way we're designed. Your bodies are function. Like you need food and water and air to live. But you are not just flesh and bone. You have a soul. And your soul hungers and thirsts for its maker. And only God can satisfy your soul. Like there's not just food for your physical body. You have a spiritual reality. And your spiritual reality needs God. It was wired and designed for God. In fact, look at over at uh, Psalm 63. Psalm 63, it says this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Like there is something in me that's just thirsty for God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Just like I'm like starving for, you know, thirsty. Like my soul is thirsting for God. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. And he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. This is the justification of my diet. I'm on the Psalm 63 diet. Psalm 63 diet, it's going to catch on. It's fat and rich foods, right? But he's saying, no, it's like my soul gets satisfied. And this is how satisfied it is. It's like the, the rich foods that are so so good to eat. That, that's what God is to my soul. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So at the beginning of the psalm, is like, my soul's thirsty. And then his soul is satisfied. Because you are not just flesh and bone, and you don't just need food, water, and air. You are a soul, and your soul needs God. And only God can satisfy your soul. Or look uh, at Psalm 107, uh, 9, he says this. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. God does that. That's the he in that sentence. He satisfies the soul. Or, or the, the passage in Philippians chapter 1 where, where Paul says, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. How does he get to this point where he's saying, hey, death is going to be gain for me. That, like it's going to be better for me to die. Like if I, I live, I've got to talk about Jesus. But if I die, I've got to be with Jesus. That's the better part. He explains it in two verses later in verse 23. I'm hard-pressed between the two. He's talking about living and dying. Like, do I want to live? Do I want to die? I don't know. This is a wrestling match. If I get to stick around, I talk about Jesus. But if I die, I've got to be with Jesus. What should I do? He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
far better. How do we get to that? How do we get to that place where it's far better to die? And maybe you get to that, but for the wrong reasons. You don't don't understand the real reason why it's far better to die. Maybe your conclusion, it's far better to die because heaven's going to be better than earth's. Now that stops short. I mean, I think the real problem is we often have a gospel that stops short. We have a gospel that doesn't get to the full beauty of what the Bible is trying to get us to understand. We have a gospel that stops short at forgiveness. We have a gospel that stops short at eternity. Like when you think of the gospel, the gospel just means good news. Well, what's the best part of the good news? Because forgiveness is good news. Amen. Right. Heaven's good news. Amen. All right. There's a lot of aspects to the good news of the gospel. But what's the best part of the gospel? What's the best part of the gospel? The best news of the gospel is not forgiveness of sins. The best part of the gospel is not heaven and eternity. The best news of the gospel is that we get God. We get God. We get reconciled back to our maker. We get to enjoy the glory of God. And that's the ultimate goal of our salvation. That's why Jesus died. Jesus didn't just die to forgive you of your sins. And Jesus didn't just die so that you can go to heaven when you die. Like that's a very kind of me-centered thing. There was a bigger mission behind why he died. It wasn't just for the forgiveness of sins, and it wasn't just for your eternity in heaven. There, there was a goal beyond that. Look at Romans 7, 4. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So he's saying that Jesus, talking about Jesus' death and how we identify with Jesus' death. But then it's going to say why Jesus died. So that you may belong to another. The reason for Jesus' death was to reconcile us back to God. So that you could belong to another. Or this passage may say it a little bit clearer. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins. Why? Why did Jesus suffer for sins? The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. That's the goal of salvation. This is why Jesus suffered. To bring you to God. Not just for the forgiveness of your sins. Not just for eternity in heaven. But to reconcile you back to your maker. To give you to God. God's the prize, guys. God is the ultimate prize of our salvation. God is the best news of the gospel. That we get God. No amen on that one? No, I'm serious. It's harder to comprehend. Because it's like forgiveness of sins. I know I need that. Heaven, that sounds awesome. But God and his holiness and enjoying him, that's harder for us to comprehend. But I'm telling you, if you don't get that, your buttons are off. Your buttons are off. And maybe you've reduced the gospel down to just the forgiveness of sins. Or just eternity in heaven. And you're missing it. I mean, not by much. Probably about that much. Right? And you can see how you can make that. I mean, forgiveness of sins, who doesn't want that? I know I need that as a sinner. Jesus is my Savior. He died for me. I can go to heaven. I got to see how I can make that connection. But if that's the connection and you begin to live your life the rest of the way, all of a sudden you're just like, I'm, I'm gonna, I missed something. And it sets the wrong trajectory in your life. 
Because maybe you believe in God, you know you're a sinner, you want forgiveness, you believe Jesus died for your sins, and you're still missing the essence of the gospel because you don't treasure God. You don't treasure God. You want to be forgiven, and you want to go to heaven when you die, but you still think you need that promotion to be satisfied. And you still think you need that relationship to have value. And you still think you need to make a little bit more money to have significance or to have fulfillment. Like, God, I know you're the creator, but I need to shop elsewhere for some of this stuff. And, and guys, God is great, right? Love God. Yay, God. For God. We love God. And God is, is great when he's helping me reach the things I really prize. So, God, if you could help me get that promotion, and if you can help fix these marriage problems, and if you can help heal this sickness, and if you can help me, you know, get into this relationship, if you can help me get out of this relationship, or whatever it may be, then, God, you know, praise your name. If, if God can help me get what I prize, but if God himself is not the prize, then you're missing the heart of the gospel. So when you think about heaven, when you think about eternity... Be honest. Would it even matter that much if God wasn't there? I mean, when I think about, you know, the idea of heaven, and I'll finally weigh what I want to weigh, right? And still get to eat what I want to eat. And I'll have a cabin on a lake. And all my best friends are going to live on that lake. And I'm going to catch a trophy fish every cast. And I'm going to have ribs for every meal. With ice cream as a vegetable. Like it's going to happen. <laughs> right? Like this is my heaven and grandpa's going to be there. And it's awesome. And I love that. And it's all about me and it has nothing to do with the Bible. It has nothing to do with scripture. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It's just what I want. Who wouldn't want that? If, if you want to be forgiven and go to heaven when you die, but you don't really care if God is there or not, your first button's off. Your first button's off. And it'll make a mess in your life. And it's hard to see it because it's off with such Christian language. But it's off. And it'll show up as you go through your life. Let me ask you this, church. Why do you want to be forgiven of your sins? Why do you want to go to heaven when you die? There is a wrong way to answer that question. There is a self-centered way to answer that question. There is a way to answer that question that will damn you to hell. Why? I mean, who doesn't want those things? Who doesn't want the forgiveness of sins? Nobody likes guilt. Well, if Jesus could help me get rid of my guilt, yay, Jesus. Like, who, who doesn't want to go to heaven? Nobody wants to go to hell. Boy, Jesus, if you could help me go to heaven, yay, Jesus. And I'm all for Jesus. Jesus, if you can help me get what I want, then I'm pro-Jesus. But if you don't want God, then you're missing the gospel. This reminds me of a story when the Israelites, one of the many times, they rebelled against God. God just in his grace rescued them from Egypt. Shows up with the ten plagues, shows up, shows off, basically undermines every false god in Egypt with his plagues. I'm the real deal. Boom, this just happened. These are my people. Let's go. 
goes out into the wilderness with his people. I'm your God. You're my people. I just rescued you. And now you're going to act like my people. And I'm going to give you some commandments. And Moses goes up to the mountain to get these commandments. But he's gone a little bit too long. And they get restless. They need something else to worship, something else to give them value, something else to express their gratitude toward. Like, because God is a bit scary. We'll get into that in another time. But as the story by Aaron's account goes, is hey, people gave me some jewelry, I threw it in the fire, I jumped a calf, I got, I'm innocent, right? But they begin to worship this golden calf. And understandably so, God is frustrated with the Israelites. And he tells Moses, listen. You guys go to the promised land without me. I'm I'm not going, but I'll give it to you. Go ahead. And Moses' response is, if you're not going, we're not going. If you're not going to be there, we don't want to be there. Because the prize is not the land. You're the prize. To be with you, God, that's the real treasure. That's the prize. And you see Moses' genuine heart with what he asked for next. Because what he asked for next was, could you show me your glory? Like this is Moses. This is somebody who has communed with God in a really intimate way. Like he, he's gotten a taste of God. And the taste that he's gotten for God, what he, what he wants is, I want more. I've gotten a little taste of God. Give me the whole plate. Like, can I get some more of that? You want me to go to the promised land without you after I've kind of got a taste of you? Are you kidding me? There is nothing better than you. I don't want to go anywhere you're not. Like anywhere you're going to be, that's where I'm going to be. You're the treasure in this whole thing. You're the prize in this whole thing. So could you show me your glory? And it's not in the text or the story, but if you kind of read the whole Bible, you get this, this idea that God is like, Moses, you ain't ready for that. I'll melt your face, right? Like you'll go Raiders of the Lost Ark on this. That's going to happen. But, but, but God says, okay, Moses, why don't you go hide in that rock, and I'm going to pass by in my glory, and you can look at my backside. I'm not going to tell you what the Hebrew means, but you can look at my backside. And he does that. And, and Moses just gets a glimpse of God's glory as he passes through from behind. And you know when Moses comes down from that mountain, the text tells us that his face shone. It glowed. They actually had to put a veil over Moses' face when he was around other people. Like, you're blinding me. That was just a glimpse of God's glory from behind. And the goodness that we're experiencing in this church when you hear testimonies and baptism, that's just like droppings, little little niblets of God's glory and his goodness. And Moses, he he had this intimate interaction with God. And at at the request, he just said, can I just have some more? Because there is nothing that is better than you. And when he just got a glimpse of his backside, his face shone where they had to veil it. What kind of glory are we dealing with? And to think that when it comes to satisfaction, we'd say, God, I think I'll shop elsewhere. We're missing it. R.C. Sproul wrote, The final goal of every Christian is to be allowed to see what was denied to Moses. We want to see him face to face. We want to bask in the radiant glory of his divine countenance. Listen, church, and I I know it's hard to grasp because what's in front of us now, we see that car 
We see those granite countertops. We see that cabin by the lake. We see that relationship. We see that promotion. We see those things, and it's good to our eyes. Just like that tree, and it comes with a promise. I think that will satisfy me. I think that will make me important. I think that will fulfill me. But I'm telling you, nothing or no one can fulfill you like God. He's God. He made you. He made this world that we live in. He wired you for himself. He's the giver of joy. He invented fulfillment. You will not find it anywhere else. Not like God can provide. And Jesus Christ came to reconcile us back to God. God's the prize. God's the prize. And we looked at that uh, proverb in the beginning. Proverbs 1-7. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that word for fear isn't like cowardly, like I'm, a, I'm scared. It's a word for reverence or awe. And he's saying that the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom doesn't mean like you're going to go win Jeopardy. W- wisdom is like you're going to make sense of life. You're going to make sense of life. So the beginning of making sense of life is having this reverence for God, this big view of God. Basically, if you want to get life right, you need to get God right. And God is worthy of your reverence, your fear, your worship. And that's going to line everything else up. It's going to, it's going to, it's the first button. Or you can put it like this for our situation. The treasuring of God is the beginning of fulfillment. The treasuring of God is the beginning of fulfillment. Treasuring God is that first button. It's that first button that lines everything else up. Listen, guys. When God is your prize... You're not looking for other things to satisfy you in a way that only God can. And when God is your prize, you're not crushing other people with this expectation for them to complete you. Because only God can complete you. And when God is your prize, you're not devastated when lesser things let you down or or fall because you got God. You're, You're fulfilled in God. Treasuring God is the beginning of fulfillment. It sets, the, it sets the trajectory for peace and hope and joy and satisfaction. You know, there's another proverb you may be familiar, familiar with. This is Proverbs 29, 18. It says this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. Now, you might be more familiar with the old King James Version that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, a lot of times this proverb gets quoted in leadership circles like, you need to provide vision. If you don't provide vision, you know, people aren't going to know what to do. Um, But that's not really what it's talking about here. It's talking about a specific kind of vision. A better translation would be, without a vision of God, people perish. Without a a vision of God, people perish. In other words, if you don't have the right vision of God, then that first button is off and you are headed for a mess. If you don't have the right vision of God, that God is the satisfier of your soul, that he is holy and worthy of your worship, and you will never find the fulfillment that you were meant to outside of God, when you have this, this big, beautiful view of God, then you're on track for the rest of your life. It sets everything else up. But if that's off... If that's off, and that first button's off and you're headed for a mess, and you get down here and you're just like, ah, how did I get to this mess? It is a problem. And, and you may be in a mess. 
You may be down here thinking, if I could just fix this marriage problem, if I could just, you know, kick this addiction, or if I could just make a little bit more money. That's not your problem. Your problem is further up. Or the reason for your problem, the cause behind your problem, the things that's led to this, is a deeper issue. So let me ask you, church, do you treasure God? I mean, do you love God? Do you see him as the prize? Do you look to him as the one who will satisfy your soul? Do you love him? Do you treasure God? You may be like, that's kind of a hard question to answer. Like, I think so. I think so. I mean, I believe in God. I read my Bible. I come to church. I'm trying to be a good person. Right? I'm, I'm trying to read my Bible more. I'm trying not to, to cuss as much. I'm trying to be nicer to people. I'm trying to share Jesus with people. I'm trying to you not know, drink so much. I'm trying to share Jesus at the office more. I'm trying to handle my money in a way that would honor God. Like, I'm trying. I'm trying to be a good Christian. What if that's part of your problem? What if that is part of your problem? What if your Christianity is more about trying than treasuring? Like, like the makeup of your Christianity is just, I'm trying. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to get my life together. I'm trying to do this. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying. But you're never treasuring. You're never just adoring God. Like this has nothing to do with me and my success or my failures or whatever. This is God and how great God is and how holy God is and how gracious God is. Like you're just, full, you're just always trying and trying and trying, but you're never treasuring. And might you be surprised that in your treasuring, you're seeing more success in the things you're trying on. Sometimes in our effort to be good Christians, we forget what it's all about. It's about God. It's about God. It's not about your success. It's not about your failure. It's about God. And in our effort and our trying to be a good Christian, we tend to forget what it's all about. In church, it's ultimately not about forgiveness. And it's not about heaven. And it's not about doing good deeds. It's about God. Forgiveness is just necessary to be reconciled back to God. And heaven is just the place we're going to live with God. And good deeds are just the things that please and honor God. But it is about God. And church, that's why worship is so important. Our time where we can just step back and like, this has nothing to do with the week I had. This has to do with everything with the God I have. How great and awesome and glorious and powerful God is. And I just need to direct my attention to God. And I just need to praise God like I was made for that because you were. It's, it's coming back to that first button. Like, God, you're the satisfier of my soul. You're the prize. You're the treasure. And maybe you do have an addiction you need to deal with. And you do have some marriage problems you need to work through. But the first thing you need to do in dealing with that is to realize the fulfillment that you're longing for is not going to be found in just fixing that marriage or just kicking that habit. The fulfillment that you're looking for, that you're longing for, will only be found in God. Who made you. Because you were made by God. For God. And you will only be satisfied like that. In God.
He is the prize. And if we could be a church that truly treasures God above all things, that any time people come to this church, our worship would be evident that we love God, that He's the prize that we're chasing after, and we know that He will satisfy our soul more than anything this world has to offer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in our foolishness, even though we acknowledge you as creator, we tend to think we need to shop elsewhere for when it comes to joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. And it is to our shame. It is to our detriment. And not seeing you as the all-satisfier of our soul sets a trajectory that causes all kinds of problems. I pray that you would help us get that first button right that we would see you as the treasure, that you are the prize, that we would pursue you as such. And we confess and know now that, that we need you even to want you. So Holy Spirit, would you wake us up to your beauty, to how precious you are, that you would truly be the treasure of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name.